Is your loved one suffering from drug addiction or alcoholism? Hope is Alive is an organization with a proven track record of helping addicted men and women radically change their lives. With 20 plus homes across the U.S., Hope is Alive Sober Mentoring Program provides safe, structured, and faith-based environments where men and women can truly change. In fact, over 80% of the residents who complete the 18-month program celebrate a fully recovered life. If you or someone you love is ready to make a change, Hope is Alive is your next step. For more information, visit hopeisalive.net. I remember just thinking, um, I don't want to live anymore. When I was like, you know, 17, 18 is when I first started drinking. I remember I told my mom and dad for the last time, like, hey, I need help. And I actually mean it this time. That's for those of you listening, whether you're a resident in the program, whether you're a family member, a current or a future supporter. But life today is good. When I was seeing it work in other people as well as myself, something just changed. I've got a little over five years of sobriety. This is the Hope Dealers Podcast. All right, welcome back to the Hope Dealers Podcast. I am your host, Sean Fitzpatrick. Thank you so much for being here today. I've got one quick little announcement for all of our listeners out there. The Hope Dealers Podcast will be releasing its second season this coming year in 2023. I don't have an exact date for you. But why am I bringing up season two of the Hope Dealers podcast? Because it would seem that we will be switching to a, wait for it, a video format. Yes, we are in the final stages of putting uh, some great pieces together to make that possible. We still will have this uh, available just for audio for those who don't want to watch us. But we are uh, very excited to add that element to the show. But enough of that. Let me introduce my guest for today, my very good friend, Mr. Robert Holsenbake. How are you, sir? Oh, I'm doing excellent, doing excellent. Good morning. Good morning. It's been, a, yeah, it is pretty early up here for us to be doing a, uh, for to do, doing a pod right now, huh? <laughs> That's right. I mean, we just had meetings all morning, or at least I did, and we just got out of one, and so it's like, hey, let's just jump in. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, for those that don't know, uh, this is a really exciting day for me because Robert is someone who I work with uh, daily. I know we've had a ton of our uh, wonderful program team members and some other uh, Hope is Alive team members on here in the past, but Robert and I actually sit in the same office all day. Yes, we do. We work side by side on numerous, numerous projects for Hope is Alive, so uh, getting him on the podcast was something that was definitely high on my priority list. Um, and yeah, like you said, we've been sitting in meetings all morning, and we figured, yeah, let's just rock and roll with this, get this, yes, sir. Get this thing going. But um, before we get into everything you know, and Robert's story, which is incredible. And the main reason he's on here, Robert, why don't you just explain for our listeners uh, what it is you do for Hope is Alive, how long you've been here, um, stuff like that. Actually, uh, my yearly is coming up. I started in January. Um, I think it's the 24th. As a staff uh, member, right? Yes, as a staff member. Um, I started working for Hope is Alive, but as far as the program itself, I came in on October 10th. Okay. Um, so I celebrated that yearly. Um, so I will... I plan on graduating in July, as far as that goes. Wonderful. And, but you, so that was October of 20... Uh, 21. 21, right. Yeah. But you came in with a good chunk of sobriety, right? Yeah. Yeah. I've, um, I went to rehab at Men's First Step, um, and I was there for seven months before I, I came to Hope is Alive. Okay. Gotcha. So that's, I mean, that's a little different. You know, I think we're used to people coming in with 
maybe three months at the most. Yeah, and, you know? or some people just straight off the streets. Oh, I was one of them. Yeah, yeah, I right. I had like, I think I had seven days, eight days when I showed up. Yeah, yeah. And that was it, the longest I'd been sober. And <laughs> I noticed that was a lot of cases when I got here. Um, I'm a house manager now, became a house manager uh, March of last year of uh, 2022. Ah, congratulations. And thank you, thank you. Um, and so, yeah, being in that position and just seeing the men that come into the homes, um, most of them didn't have what I had before. You know, they didn't take that time to, to go to rehab. They just like, I need help now and just came straight in. Yeah. And I, I think for some of us uh, who come straight in and without going to treatment, it's like we, we've been to treatment before some of those guys. And so you got to remember, like, as necessary as treatment is, it absolutely is. But nine times out of 10, it does cost money. Right. So for like a guy like myself, I remember the conversation with my family was, yeah, we know you need help, but we've already spent thousands of dollars on you going to treatment before. And that didn't do anything. That's right. Um, that's one of the things in, in my story is men's first step. It's a state funded, mm. um, it's basically a work camp. Gotcha. Um, so you, you work to stay there. I see. Yeah. And that's the same, same thing as like my, my parents don't have a lot of money and I, me personally, I didn't want them to pay for me to get well because it's my, my problem, my issue. Yeah. And is there ever like for you, was there like a fear of like, I also don't want them to pay uh, in case this doesn't pan out? Oh, yes. Um, as we'll get into that, I um, I'm a chronic relapser. So mm -hmm. every time I've been to any kind of treatment, I've always gone in and I'm an alcoholic. So I've always gone back to drinking. Yeah. Yeah. Same here. Yeah. It, it's crazy, man. You know, we a lot of the failures we've talked about this a lot on the show. It's like we have all this support from the family. We've got all these people surrounding us that are willing to help, that are willing to get in there. Um, but if we don't want it, yes, it, it doesn't matter. It, yeah. It, it just all goes down the tubes immediately. Yeah. Um, but yes, uh, you're, you're absolutely right. You have to have the willingness yourself in order to change. Yeah. Um, there's nobody's going to do it. Um, as far as like, um, humans concerns, um, and, and, and it's, and your family's always going to love you no matter what. So like you said, they'll do anything. They'll sacrifice anything to get you help. Right. But unless you but don't want to help when yourself. They, yeah. But sometimes when they do that, they're enabling. Right. Without realizing it, of course. Exactly. Exactly. Hashtag finding hope. Yes, that's right. Um, and then, so before we get into your story again, so you said you've been on staff for close to a year now. I remember that. Um, <laughs> you are a jack of all trades, really, but your main focus would be? Um, as far as Hope is Alive, uh, what I do here, um, graphic design yeah. is, is uh, what I was hired for. But like you said, um, uh, my, my degree is in computer animation, video production. So Gotcha. And like you were talking about, I, I kind of help around uh, all aspects of the multimedia team. Uh, but my main focus here is the graphic design aspect. Absolutely. Yeah. I would say that's the best part about our MMC team up here is yes. uh, all of us, you know, we might have like a main focus mm -hmm. each, you know, like this is like your day to day. This has to get done. Yes. But I feel like all of us on the team can jump into any area at any time, which is a pretty awesome thing. That's that's the great thing is like um, if we get a project, um, everybody can do just about anything. So let's say somebody's gone for whatever reason, you're yeah. not like falling short in that department because I'm like, okay, they're gone, so I need to just pick up a little bit of slack here. Absolutely, and and we're good at that. Like as far as everybody jumps in and 
gets done what needs to be done. Yeah, I I, uh, I love that, man. That was so true for me. I recently, as you know, I took some time off uh, for the holidays. I was mm-hmm. gone for about two weeks. And I started near the end of it, you know, uh, not people on the MMT team so much, but people on other teams, I guess. I think we all do it when, when you need something from somebody Yes, and they've been gone for a while and you know they're not back yet, but you kind of just start itching and those emails start coming. <laughs> start flowing like, in. I know you're not back yet, but, and I remember reaching out to Chris, our creative director, and he was like, oh no, I did that. You're good. Yes. Right. Like, oh, thank you. God, I love this team. <laughs> right. It, yeah. That's the, like you said, that's the great thing. Uh, well, it goes along with the program too, is that fellowship, man, everybody just supports yes. each other. Absolutely. And, and I love that we take that to here in the workplace. Absolutely. Very good stuff. Well, as much as we love hearing about, you know, <laughs> I think you and I could sit here and talk about this all day long, but then again, yeah. when Robert and I go on uh, trips to go film or get photography, this is, generally is our conversation is right. just stuff about the team. So let's give our listeners what they came for. Uh, Robert, you're a recovering alcoholic. Yes, sir. We're not yeah. talking, uh, we're not talking otherwise. Right. Which is a pretty crazy way to look at it. Exactly. Um, give us a little background, you know, where you grew up and how you got started drinking. Yes. Um, I grew up, uh, I was actually born in Purcell, Oklahoma, which is a Small town, um, known for the quarter horses and um, for quarter horse racing, breeding, that sort of thing. Um, and I grew up there, went there through my whole life as far as uh, school goes. I graduated from there. Um, and while I was there, um, I was part of, a, I grew up in the church, the First Baptist Church, uh, when my grandparents are my, basically my spiritual mentors at that time. Um, so... It wasn't like I came from or didn't know Jesus or anything like that or didn't have any kind of religion or any kind of, I say, moral values as far as that's concerned. Um, and both my parents um, did what they could as far as like parents, like uh, we didn't come from money. They're they're both uh, workers. And so uh, they always made ends meet, um, always had clothes on my back, food in my stomach, roof over my head, that sort of thing. So it wasn't like I was falling short in that that realm. Uh, my my parents, my, my father, he didn't even keep beer in the house, didn't have any liquor, no beer or anything like that, mm-hmm. no alcohol uh, as far as that's concerned. Um, my mother did like to go out um, and and they, they would go out, you know, on weekends or whatnot uh, like that, but it wasn't like they were drinking all the time. So it wasn't like I came from an alcoholic home as far as right. that goes. And uh, it's just my, I have a younger brother. It's just uh, my younger brother and I, as far as uh, siblings go. Um, and we were best friends growing up. So I didn't even have like one of those, oh, I hate my, my sibling type of situations either. I came from a really great, loving family. Um, my parents did get divorced um, whenever I was eight years old. Um, and I know we talk about it in our model, but that was kind of like my black hole moment. Um, yeah. That's where I felt like um, abandonment, I guess you would say. Um, my mother, she she left to go live in, in Norman, which is like the next uh, city uh, from Purcell. Yeah. Um, so she still stay, stayed around us, but I didn't see her all the time. So that's where I felt the abandonment part of it. I see. And that's kind of where my, my grandparents stepped in. Uh, my brother and I stayed with my grandparents for, for a little while while my dad, he worked all day, so... He'd go to work, we'd stay over there, and then he'd pick us up from their house. Um, the school bus dropped, dropped us off there and everything like that. We stayed there for about a good, uh, say about two years, almost three years. 
until my father, we lived out in the country with my dad. And so he decided to move in, in town, mm. um, to be, uh, closer to my grandparents. And, um, and when we lived in town, that's when he met my stepmother. And so, uh, we, we moved in with them when I was, I uh, say about like 11 years old. Um, uh, and so that's when I had my, my older stepbrother at that time. And he was, four years uh, older than me. So he was around 16. He was driving um, and uh, was getting ready to drive. He, was, he, he had motorcycles, but he was getting ready to drive. And um, about 12 years old was the first time that um, I drank some beer here and there, you know, like I take sips, you know, like at a party or something like that, you know, the get togethers or whatnot. But I never, I never got drunk. And 12 years old, my stepbrother, um, he loved Jim Beam. Um, and he, coming from a small town, he like... So you were 12? Yes. Okay. 12 years old. Um, so uh, in, in a small town, everybody knows each other. So he can just go get liquor, really, because they knew our family and they knew who we were. And even though he was underage, um, um, he would he would go and actually to the liquor store and, and buy like a pint of Jim Beam. Jeez. And we'd go to Sonic right next door and get like one of those Route 44s and and we'd just dump that whole pint. And you were 12. Yeah. How so old was he? He was 16. Yeah. Gosh. At that time. And See, uh, even the 16. Right. Sounds incredibly young. <laughs> right. Exactly. Let alone 12. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and this is a childhood that you did not grow up with alcohol in the house. Right. It wasn't like this just seemed like the next step. This is just something that happened. Right. Exactly. Um, yeah. And it was like, of course, me being, um, you know, 12 and he's 16, I want to look cool. And ah, there it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. You want to be accepted. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I can I can hang with my older brother, you know. And so he would take a couple of sips and pass it to me. And, and of course I, I'm, I'm not going to chicken out. So yeah, because then you wouldn't be cool. Right. Yeah. I got to, I got to, we had some gangster rap playing in the car. Like we're, you know, we're getting into it and then Goodness. taking, taking sips of this, uh, this Jim Beam and Coke. And so oh, God, that's uh in, in you'll hear it in AA all the time. And you know, that's, that's whenever I got that, 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 that feeling of just everything went away. Like right. Yeah, the first and I didn't like the taste of, of liquor as far as that goes, but the feeling. It sure. was it was the feeling that took over. Yeah, I, I rarely meet anybody who talks about their first drink and says that it tasted good. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I think it's all about that feeling. I remember the first beer I drank and I was like, This is disgusting. <laughs> yeah. Um, how do you guys just sit around and, and drink this all day drink or whatever? This all day, like <laughs> Yeah. Because I think, I think I was probably like 13, 14. No, I was probably 13. I had my first beer. And yeah, like you said, I liked the feeling. Yes. Not and the taste. It, man, it was like that warmness going down and all that. And then, of course, like all your problems went away. You were cool. Like everything you said was funny. Yeah. Um, and, and me and my older brother, that's how we were bonding. So, So that's an interesting point right there. You can only really bond with your brother through substance. Right. And there's a four year age gap. Right. I feel it's funny. My brother is four years younger than I was. Okay. And there was a time when I was probably 19, 18, 19, and he was 14 or 15. And he had told his therapist essentially that the only time his brother, me (laughs) was nice to him or whatever was when he was drinking. Right. 
Exactly. Um, it's it's wild yes. how that can happen. There's that age gap, and but you can come together through something like drinking whiskey. Yes, exactly. And and the the thing is, like my younger brother, my my younger brother, he is maybe barely even two years younger than me. Yeah. Um. So. But you guys were probably closer, right? Oh yeah, yeah. My 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 younger brother and I we're still best friends to this day. That's awesome. Um, as far as that goes, even through all this stuff. Um, and and yeah, with my older brother, um, again, since we were new to each other and that sort of thing, is like that's the only way I felt accepted. Yeah. With him. Um, and and again, that was every time we hung out, he always had some liquor with him. So that that was our our bonding every time. Sure. And um. And of course, like, um, I had a, a, I say a girlfriend, a girl that I was talking to at the time and he was dating her older sister. So we'd always meet up with them. And of course, liquor was involved in that. And, and it made me, uh, felt like I, I could talk to girls, yeah. you know, and, and do, do anything I, I wanted as far as like, uh, females concerned. So this goes on. Yeah, this, um, so this went on um, probably, I say, till I was about fourteen or so, and uh, hanging out with his friends again. Same thing, acceptance with his friends. Um, I would, I'd bring it around my friends. I'd go get him, get liquor, and then me and my friends would go, go drink too. So, um, and it wasn't like I was drinking every day. This was kind of like a weekend type thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so, cause he'd always do stuff with his friends. So I'd, I would just see him here and there. Um, but whenever we hung out, it, like I said, it was just uh, every now and then. So I wasn't drinking every day. It didn't, it didn't affect my, my schoolwork as far as that goes. Right. You were just having a different weekend than the rest of the 12 year olds. Yes, exactly. So it, at this point I thought yeah, I was having fun. Right. It, 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 nothing has been, uh, uh, tampered with as far as my life goes. Yeah. Um, so after, um, uh, probably about, oh, 15 or so, uh, yeah, I'd say about 14. I was, I was pretty much like, um, drinking on the weekends. Um, and, and, and I would go, my mother lived in the city at the time. So this is about, but I'm sorry, she, she lived out in the country in, in, in Norman. Um, but I was partying over there at the weekends too. Like all my friends would come out there. They, I was the youngest, I was born in June. So I was always the youngest in my grade. So all my friends had cars and driver's license before I did. So they'd all pick me up. We'd go to my mom's cause we knew we could go out there and party. Yeah. And, and my mom, she was, she was single at the time. So she was going out doing her thing, um, and partying with us too. So that's whenever I saw drinking, uh, being more involved in my life. Um, but I, I wasn't an alcoholic yet. I would say as far as like, um, it didn't, it didn't, uh, well, it hadn't well, taken off to where it would. Right. Exactly. Like it, it again, it, it didn't take the take over my life yet. So I, I still made great, good grades. Actually, I was a pretty much a straight A student um, as far as like all through high school. And sometimes that's like, it's funny because I hear that a lot um, that, well, yeah, but it, my grades were fine. Right. It wasn't ruining my life. It wasn't running my life yet. And sometimes that's worse. Right. Because yes. it gives us this false sense of like, oh, well, I got this or it's not that big of a deal. You're absolutely correct, man. And then it all just becomes more normal. Yeah, yeah. And and, and, and like you're saying, I still had that control. Right. 
Yeah. So, so it, it, it's that delusion of control, of yeah. course. Um, and so I graduated when I was 17. Um, and it was time to go to college. Right. So, uh, this is whenever I was, I was going to, I was still going to church and all that kind of stuff all the way through high school. Uh, but when I graduated, that's whenever I, I let go of all that, like, yeah. um, pretty much, um, my, my, my vision whenever I was younger of the church or, or of, of Christianity, uh, was like, okay, people will go, uh, be holy rollers on Sunday, right? Get that hour in at church and, and be with the spirit. But when they go home, they're back to their normal selves. Right, right, right. And, and I saw it in my own family and I saw it with a lot of other people in the church. So I put my faith in the people and, and not in God. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, okay, if that's the way Christians are, I can just do that myself. Yeah. And I let all that go whenever I graduated and started college. Um, I moved up to the city at the time. Uh, my mother lived in the city. And so I went to OCU, Oklahoma City, Oklahoma City University. And um, I started my first year of college there. And by this time, um, I was getting, uh, I was smoking weed. That's uh, right when I graduated and moved to the city. That's whenever I got introduced to, to marijuana. And uh, started smoking weed. <laughs> yeah, the classic story. I came to the big city and there was pot there. Oh, we've got an amber. Uh-oh, uh-oh. Amber alert. Uh-oh. Apologies for that, viewers. Yeah. But, uh, uh, but yeah, so you're saying it's the it's the typical story of coming up to the city, getting introduced to some yes. weed. I know it is, too. Like you said, it's that uh, small town boy makes it to the big city. And, and then someone and, says, try this. Hey, check this out. Gosh. Uh, so uh, It's not just the movies, guys. <laughs> yeah. I'm telling you, like, this is real. This is real life. <laughs> um, and and, and um, so anyway, I started smoking weed um, and drinking still, of course. Um, anytime I can get my hands on it. And, and my mom would go buy it at this point. So, um, and she, buy what now? go buy liquor. Okay. Yeah. 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 Go buy liquor. I, I buy weed for my friends in college and then, uh, she would, she'd go buy me liquor. So I had my, had my liquor and then I had my weed and I was, I was good, you know? Right. Um, but you're becoming dependent. Yes. And this is where the turning point happened as far as like affecting my life. Like, um, my grades, were pretty much like almost non-existent. Um, I would I'd be too hungover to go to class. Um, I would just let projects go. I had like calculus and, and I had all these like really high end classes. I was taking computer engineering at the time. Yeah. So I was doing computer programming, calculus, like all these mathematics and science classes. And I just let it all just go downhill. Uh, cause I was more, more concerned of having fun. Um, I had a waiting job. I was waiting tables in Bricktown, which is like the, one of the predominant areas in Oklahoma City. Um, and so I was, at, you know, hanging out with the in crowd and, and, and going to clubs and bars. And I was only 18, you know. Yeah. <clears throat> so I was living my life, the, my, what I wanted to do. And it was the party life. And, uh, and again, it was like taking the restrictions off of me from the small town life as far as that goes. So that's whenever it started affecting me. And I, I pretty much dropped out uh, my second semester of college. I just totally dropped out and I started getting into meth at this time. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's when I found meth. So I thought it was the great idea to start, hey, I can make money with meth. 
you know, <laughs> I'm not going to be a computer engineer anymore. I'm going to go sell meth. Yeah. That sounds way better. <laughs> exactly. Love the lifestyle. It's Gosh. awesome. Uh, <laughs> Before you continue, it's what you just said though, that all joking aside is the truth. When we get stuck in substance, right? Like we're drinking, we're smoking weed. We find the cocaine, we find the meth, whatever. Um, you do kind of fall to this lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Um, and this false advertisement of it that this is a pretty chill, fun way yes. to live, you know. And I, I think the feeling is like, it's like you said, when you drink, mm-hmm. you don't have a care in the world, right? You know, when you're doing amphetamines or any kind of upper, like you just feel like you can take on, yeah, the world. Oh yeah. And then the idea of, you know, I know it sounds crazy, I'm sure, to a lot of our listeners and a lot of parents out there or people who just who haven't gone through it, but it's like okay, but you're going to drop out of college and all Mm -hmm. that for that. And that's how scary all this is, is because at the time when you're stuck in that trap, Mm -hmm. leaving school so that you can do this every day actually does sound pretty enticing. Yes. And, and, and again, like you're saying, and and we love movies and we talk about them all the time. Yes, we do. So, uh, yeah. And that's, that's what I had that fantasy built in my head was that, Oh, you know, I was going to be this major drug dealer and I was going to have like the huge mansion and like, ah, yes. you know, you know, the total Scarface, whatever you want to give it a name, you know, Don Roberto. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, exactly. So in my mind, that's, that's where I was heading, you know, that was going to be my goal at the moment. But like you said, it just, it just like slid in like you do you don't wake up one day be like, Oh, I'm just going to go deal meth today. You know, just kind of like Mm-mm. slowly, but surely creeps in there. It's, yeah, again, like you said, it, it just kind of creeps in. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, for myself, when I moved out, I was 18, and um, I had just been hanging out with older friends since mm-hmm. I was 14. Right, right. And I saw the freedom they had. Right. One, because I didn't love my parents, or, you know, didn't one, because I didn't want a good life or something. It was just like, oh, I could go do this every day day yeah exactly i can just party all the time you know wake up late go to work late yes live on fast food and you know just get this head change all day long but i think what it is robert is we we're using that substance to cover up something oh yes we don't even realize it at the time um but what we do realize is that when we're sober we have to face a lot of hard truths. Exactly. Whether it's for me, you know, not going to college at all. That was the big thing I had to face when I was 18 is that I didn't go to college or for you when you're sober at this time, it's, I am flunking out of college. But when you drink, when you go get high, whatever it is, all those feelings just kind of evaporate. Yeah. And, And like you said, um, yeah, whenever I started seeing myself slipping, it was like, oh, okay, I just need to quit partying and focus on school and actually making a life for myself. Um, no, that none of that mattered whenever I was whenever I was stoned, whenever I was drunk, and of course, whenever I was on meth, um, none of that mattered. I just threw it all away. Like like you said, all my problems I just stuffed down and 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 stuck it to the side. Yeah, I remember when I was like twenty or twenty one, living in Austin, and me and a few friends went out and one of them on the way to the bar, uh, got a phone call from his roommate who was also his landlord. I guess like it was his house. Right. And he was going off on this guy on the phone saying like, dude, you can't be late on rent this month. It's 500. Like, please, I gotta have it by the first, this and that. And, uh, we get to the bar 
and the guy that we were with who had just gotten the phone call being yelled at to, you know, save your money, yes. pay rent. Yes. He was sitting there doing shots <laughs> and he looked at me and he smiled and he goes, I love this feeling. <laughs> and I said, what? He goes, the feeling of liquor and just not caring. Yes. <laughs> and I said, so how are you going to pay that rent that your buddy was talking about? He goes, I have no idea, but I don't care right now. Yeah, that's right. And, that, and that's the way that I lived life at that moment. Yeah. And, and, and this is, uh, I ran into a guy that had some acid. So this, this was my next experience right here. So I got into acid and, and that was my next love. You know what I mean? As far as. So the, you're just finding a new, every, a new substance along the way and just yes. going head over heels just, for it. Yeah. Just like, like you said, anything that was different than the one before. Mm-hmm. Cause like, all right, I did math. I know what that's about. Been there, done that. Yeah. Bam. Here's acid. Wow. This is brand new. A whole nother love right there. And all this started with some drinking and smoking weed. So for those of you who do not think it's a gateway, just please listen to all the stories we're telling on here. That's right. That's right. Um, and then, so, uh, did that for probably a good, a uh, good six months or so just tripping on, on acid. And, and this is before I even knew about mushrooms or anything. It was just straight, straight LSD. And after that, um, that's, and I was still, still drinking, of course, still smoking weed, of course, and doing meth here and there. Yeah. And, uh, by this time I was, I was done with, uh, we call them the tweakers, but I was done with them. Like they would pound on your door at four o'clock in the morning looking for some, some meth and, and phone calls nonstop. And well, we had pagers at the time. So yeah, that'll, that'll date me right there. Uh, but anyway, like I got tired of dealing with those people. So I'm like, all right, I'm getting out of the, the meth business and, um, and I'm going to, I'm going to sell some acid. Right. So, Oh, that's a wonderful, <laughs> this is transformation. <laughs> this is the next venture. So it's the way of the future. Um, but anyway, the way of the future, this yeah. drug from the sixties is the way of the future. Right. I love it. Uh, so did that for, for a little bit, a couple of months. And then, Finally, um, it, it just hit me in, and this is probably what we call the spiritual awakening. Yeah. Um, I was, uh, this when I woke up, I was like, okay, I can't do this all my life. I can't make money uh, just dealing drugs. Yeah. Let's do something. And, and at this moment, uh, my mother moved to Dallas with her boyfriend, her ex-boyfriend now. But uh, she lived down there, and um, I knew about the Art Institute of Dallas. And I've always uh, wanted to go there since I was in high school. So this was my opportunity to move down there. And her, her boyfriend, he really liked me. Um, so there was no issues there. And so I was going to move in with them and then start school at the Art Institute. And um, finally, God, I mean, and we talk about changing places and things and that sort of thing. Um, so I left the drugs and, and everything behind, um, and went to Texas, went to Dallas. Ah, my home. Right. Right. Yeah. Shout out to big D. Um, and so, uh, moved down there and everything was going great. Um, and he's an alcoholic. So, uh, so whenever I got there, that's the first thing we did was get drunk. Um, and I was, uh, 19 at the time. No, 19 or 20. I was trying to remember, maybe it was 20. Um, yeah, I think it was 20 at the time whenever I, whenever I moved down there. Yeah. 
and so yeah first 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 night we met up and everything we just got hammered so on some uh, Bacardi 151 Ugh. yeah yeah good stuff there. I gotta say your liquor choice so far not like I've been sober for close to four years and your liquor choice is disgusting I just have to throw it out there as a fellow alcoholic <laughs> no, not about the taste man no, <laughs> it's, I, it's, I'm just saying it's, let's get hammered as fast as possible I get it I get it I'm just ugh, yeah my. yeah it's a uh, detrimental man uh, so anyway um Moved to Dallas and, and and again having that fantasy of you know a whole new life and clean slate and yeah. all right I left I left that life behind of, of the drugs and and so uh, started started the Art Institute of Dallas um, started going to school and everything got enrolled um, loved the school like that's actually the place for me and um, whenever I was there I would I would I would still I would drink here and there um, so. It was more more along about like uh, weekends, maybe once during the week or something. Um, and then finally, you know, I found a weed connection, of course, um, and started started smoking weed. But again, it it was like very minimal. I it right. wasn't it wasn't like I woke up, smoked a joint, and took a shot, whatever. So I would I would it again, at this point, uh, like we talked about, it still hasn't taken over my life. Um, I still love the feeling, of course. Um, and then there was a, there was plenty of times where like I would uh, have like retail jobs and stuff like that going through uh, college. I would I would like either call in or not show up because I was. But that's going the over thing. There. Like so, just to stop you right there, you yeah. said at this point it still hasn't taken over your life, but it totally has. You just yeah. don't see it that way. Right, right. And that's something that I want everyone to hear is just because you're semi-functioning. Yes. Does not mean you've got it. Right. I think that was that was my problem for the longest time was the fact that I always had a job. I always had a really good work ethic. I always had money in my pocket. Yeah. You're gonna call me an alcoholic and a drug addict. That's like, right. I've got, I've got it together. You know. So I, I think that's important. An important part part of your story is that you're still at this point. You yes. still don't think that it's running your life, but it totally is. Yes. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. And and again, it's the delusion like we talk about. Right. Yeah. It. And, and, and so, um, and, and, and we talk about it too, to where like, even though I wasn't drinking, I was thinking about drinking and the same with smoking weed, even though I wasn't, uh, smoking, I was like, man, I can't wait till I'm done with whatever I'm doing so I can go smoke. Yeah. We're going to take a quick break. We're uh, a little past, a little past where we would normally take a break, but Hey, when it's going this well, why would you want to stop it? <laughs> um, and so we'll take a quick break. We'll be right back. Is your spouse or child drinking or using drugs? Do you need help understanding the why? Finding Hope support groups were specifically created for the loved ones of addicts and alcoholics. Through our free meetings, you'll find education, inspiration, and a community of other loved ones impacted by addiction. You're not alone. It's not your fault. And there is hope. Say yes to recovery and hope today and visit findinghope.today. So Robert, before we get uh, back to your incredible uh, testimony, you seen any good movies lately? Um, let's see. Probably the the Glass Onion was like the best movie I've seen in a while. Yeah, I watched that over the break. That's a pretty good one. Yeah, yeah. But uh, other than that, like I wanted to go see the new Avatar, but haven't had a chance to. I watched the first Avatar over the break for the very first time. I had uh, never seen really. Avatar. Oh, you never seen it. Which is crazy because for those who know me know I'm like a film and TV series fanatic. Um, Especially James Cameron too. I know. I know. <laughs> I just, it was one of those things that when it came out, 
I didn't care too much. <laughs> and I had everybody saying, you've got to go see this movie. Yeah. And I'm just, you know, one of those guys that's like, the more you tell me to go see something. Pushing me away. The, the less <laughs> I want to do it. Yeah. Which is ironic because that was the same way it went in my recovery journey. Um, yeah. The more people told me to stop drinking and using, the more I did. Right. Exactly. So Robert and I love talking movies and oh, TV yeah. shows. Um, and maybe down the line, we might uh, try to release a podcast of the two of us breaking some stuff down that we watch. But yes. that is uh, for another day. So Can't wait. Robert, kind of bring us up to speed on what it is that forces you to finally reach out for help yes. and try to get this thing under control and eventually leads you through the doors of Help Us Alive. Yes. Um so, um, again, going to the patterns that we talked about, um, looking back now, uh, I moved back to Oklahoma in 2007 and before I moved back, um, I had excellent jobs in graphic design or, and, and things like that, but I couldn't see why I was losing the jobs is because I kept drinking during the whole time. Right. And, and, and again, I would, I called in so much being hung over or even drunk from the night before that I would lose that job because like, I'm not at work. Not dependable. Yes, exactly. The accountability. So I got a job, um, up here at, at, at Dell and that's whenever I moved back to Oklahoma. And this is where, um, I started to get my DUIs. Mm. So, um, long story short, um, the whole time that I've been in Oklahoma since 2007, I've had four DUIs. Wow. And and I got one out of DUI in Texas when I lived in Texas too. I've got one there as well. They so, did not play around with that. No, no, they didn't. Um, and even the one that I got in Texas, I got it right about two weeks before I turned twenty one. Um, but it was like more like a like a slap on a wrist type situation. Right. It was uh just pay some fines, uh, go go to a little bit of counseling, a couple of impact panel classes, right? Yeah. yeah. Your typical, uh, stuff. I say typical, but, uh, uh, the normal stuff that you usually do for DUI anyway. So I didn't learn from it. Like as far as, uh, you know, it didn't, it, it wasn't like a big impact on me. Right. Because you just thought you were unlucky. Right. And got caught. Exactly. Yeah. Even though I drank almost two liters of Bacardi, right. Um, uh, you know, that was not, that was not a problem, you know? Yeah. It's, it's funny. I've noticed that a lot. I, th I talked about this a couple episodes ago when I did a panel with a few of the PMs. You know, it's it's kind of similar to when someone comes in the Hope is Alive program, for instance, but they don't think they need to be here. Right. And they say, well, right. you know, and you try to when you try to put it to them, like, no, well, no, you're here because of your actions. And, well, no, I'm here because of my girlfriend or my wife or because my mom made me come court. Or, or court. Um, but they never want to peel back the layer to that and say, right, maybe it is the courts made me come here. Maybe it is my wife that made me come here, but it's all because of something I did. <laughs> yes. So it's like with your DUIs, it's like you didn't really get much out of it because you weren't willing to be like, huh, I drank two fifths of Bacardi yeah. and decided to get behind the wheel. That's right. I, you know, I know we laugh about it now, but that's just, it's insane. It's horrifying. Yes, it's insane. What could have happened? Yes, exactly. You know, yeah, um, and even uh, you know on the on the DUIs, the the third one that I got here in Oklahoma, we had DUI court, and um, 
So basically, uh, in a nutshell, it's a, a two-year program where you take random drug tests and and you go to AA meetings, you go to counseling, like uh, outpatient treatment. Yeah. Um, so this was a the, the other two DUIs had minimum stuff like that, but this was like the most intensive one as far as like a, a court uh, set aside program. Yeah. Because if I didn't take it, I was serving um, ten years in prison. Because how many, how many, you've got three by now. Yes. Which is a no-no. Right, you exactly. That usually is mandatory prison time. Right, exactly. And that's that's what the DUI court's all about. Right. Instead of going to prison, you take this and, right. and do this program. So, um, obviously, I took that program to stay out of prison. Um, but this, this um, like you were talking about the willingness, um, during this program, it was more about like a competition, like a game to me. It was like, okay, I can show you that I can stay sober for two years. I can show you that you have the problem, not me. Right, right. Yeah, like the, you know, breaking the system or getting over on the system is more like it. Um, didn't, uh, all my UAs were clean um, and I stayed sober for those two years. Yeah. Um, and, and, and went to everything, checked the boxes. I was really good at compliance. Um, I can, I can burn through a curriculum. I can, you give me something, I can, I can kill it as far as like any kind of paperwork goes. Yeah. So, um, I went through that program looking like the golden boy at the end. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, the whole time I could not wait to, to graduate the program so I can start drinking again. Like it, that's all I thought about during the whole time I was in the program. So it's, it's funny how this all works out. You know, you're willing just enough to not go to prison. Yes. Okay. And we see this all the time with guys who come into the homes and aren't ready. You know, I was, I was talking to, I want to say, um, I think it was our program manager in Colorado. I, I can't remember exactly, but the conversation we were having is sometimes you see guys who come in and they're willing just enough to not be homeless. Yes. Right. Exactly. Like, I'll, I'll do enough to not live on the streets. Yes. But all it really is, like you said, is just to check some boxes mm -hmm. get everyone off your back you know, that's right. And then the plan is to get right back to it. Yeah. Oh yes. Um, so, and, and, and when you complete the program too, you, those three DUIs are gone. They, they take it off your record. So again, it was another clean slate for me, which is, you know, and it's ironic. It's like, it's almost as if the court are enabling you. Right. <laughs> That's what <laughs> I was getting to. <laughs> yeah. And that, that was my point. Um, so yes. Yeah, so even, even that, you know, we call it white knuckling or, or yeah. whatever. I was just, I was just staying sober to stay out of prison. Um, and so completed that and not even, I say a couple of weeks and maybe a week, um, I was back to drinking again and, yeah. and smoking weed again too. Um, and so I did that, uh, Let's see, that I completed that, I think, 2013, if I remember, 2014. Anyway, a good uh, five to seven years, um, or, yeah, about five to six years of just nonstop drinking. And this, this, is, this is where, like, I was, I was hitting probably the most intensive drinking I've done as far as, like, um, I was drinking every day, all day. Uh, I would take a cup. I'll drink about half a pint before I even got to work. Right. Um, just a function. Right. Exactly. Not yeah. even for the buzz. <laughs> yeah. Just to get the shakes out and, and to start functioning. And I always kept a bottle in my car. So during break time, 
if I was taking, taking sips, you know, taking, I get it, my brother. So this is where, like, again, I didn't think I had a problem. I was still functioning. I yeah. still was holding on to my job, even though they gave me multiple chances on that. Um, as far as, um, they knew I was drinking and it's like, Hey, can you just get some help? Da, 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 da. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can stop, you know? And then it finally got to the point to where I was, I was telling myself every day, all right, I'm not drinking tomorrow. I'm not drinking tomorrow. And it, and that's the first thing I thought about when I woke up was where am I, how can I get to the liquor store? Do I have enough money in my bank account to go even get anything? Everything that we do starts is, is becoming based around. Yes. The drinking. Exactly. Even if someone, you know, like a mom or a family member texts you and says, like, don't forget, we've got aunt so-and-so's birthday on the third of, you know, three months from now. Yes. The first thought in your head is like, okay, <laughs> do I need to bring a bottle with me? Is there going to yes. be enough there? I'll go ahead and keep an emergency fifth underneath the seat. Yes, exactly. That's exactly it. And, uh, but this is a daily thing for you. Oh yeah, this was every day. Yeah, daily thing. Um, and and I w- my ex girlfriend at the time, she had two boys, and we were living together, and and she put she put up with a lot. Yeah. Um, and especially with her boys, and and anyway, that's whenever um, I got kicked out, and this is whenever I hit my fourth DUI because I had a vehicle and. I had a fender bender because I was drunk, and and this is at noon. noon. So at noon, hammered, um, I, I passed out in the cop car. So I was that drunk. Um, I've actually done that before. Yeah, that is a horrible feeling when you wake up and realize you are still there. Right. Ex- yeah. Exactly. Um, so this is where um, it was kind of like a, again another spiritual waking as far as like all right. I, this is, I'm, I'm, I had enough, you know, I got to do something. And so this is the, when I went to rehab, actually inpatient rehab for the first time. And I went to Catalyst up in Enid and it was two month program. Well, I say two month program. I was there for two months cause I burned through the curriculum again. Yeah. Um, and there was uh, we went to a meetings, things like that, but it was an Enid. So I never really established like a home group. Cause I'm like, if I leave, I'm going back to the city, you know, I, I don't know anybody in Enid. So um, I, two months, went through their portion, came back, and and then I lasted, stopped. Uh, I went to maybe one AA meeting when I got back to the city. I started. I lived at my brother's house because that was the only place that would accept me at the time. Right. Um, so I uh, stayed there within, i say, about a month. Got a job at a gym and stuff like that. Within a month, I was drinking again because, again, I— I, I didn't go to church, didn't use any of the tools that I learned in rehab. Um, just went back on my own self-will. Yeah, because your so, way has worked so well. Yeah, yeah. To this and, point. <laughs> and I can control it again. Yeah, um, air and quotes. Yeah, yeah. It was all about, I, I got it this time. Yeah. And and so, um, anyway, I, that went on for about uh, a couple of months. Um, well, my let me, let me back up. I, whenever I... I got kicked out of my ex-girlfriend's house. I moved my stuff to my cousin's house. And and so all my stuff was there. And I got the bright idea to just get a fifth and go to my cousin's house. And I'm just going to stay put for a minute. Right. Didn't go to work. Didn't even call my boss at work. Nothing. So lost that job. And I stayed at her, her house and drank for like two months. Just She just let me go. Cause she's an alcoholic too, so she understood. Right. Um, just kind of let me do my thing. And then finally... She had enough. She's like, all right, you got to do something. So I called my dad, uh, went to my dad's house, lived there for a year, 
and I would I would do the often you know drink uh, for about a month, quit for a month, that sort of thing. Or when I got caught, that's what it is. Every time I got caught with a bottle, or they'd find a bottle because you know you got to hide the bottles. Um, so he, they would find a bottle, or I'd be so drunk I, I couldn't play it off. Um, and so every time I got caught, yeah, 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 I'll sober up, sober up for about a week or two, and then get back in it. Finally, uh, my dad had enough, um, and he was like, all right, you, you got to go to rehab or go to the streets. You know, you just can't stay here. So I had nobody that would take me in at this time. Burned it all to the ground, had nothing. I mean, all my possessions were at my father's house, but, like, I basically had a bed and, and like, like bedroom stuff, and, and that was it. Like, no vehicle, no nothing, um, and now no home. And so that's when I made the decision to go to men's first step. And my mother actually found the place. Um, I was so, so shamed and, and, and just in, in my own darkness that, um, I didn't want to do anything. I I basically was like waiting to die. Um, and, and to hit on that too, uh, whenever I was at my father's house, um, he found me face down one day in my bed and he thought I was dead. So, he called the ambulance and they came and um, took me to the hospital. And I spoke to the doctor whenever I came to. I was in a basically an alcoholic uh, alcohol coma for uh, two days. And um, he said, if it was like an hour later, if my dad would have found me an hour later, that would have been it. You know, I would have died. And that still didn't stop me from drinking. I sobered up for about a month and went back to drinking after that. Jeez. So. Not even alcohol poisoning, not even death would stop me. So that's whenever I chose chose rehab, and then that's when I chose uh, to fully surrender at this point. I was like, I cannot run my life anymore because when I do, I'm just destroying it. So, uh, and, and that's whenever I came to the conclusion of I'm powerless over alcohol. Okay. So uh, that's, that's actually whenever that was the turning point of like, this is I'm doing, getting sober for me. For you this time. Right. Yeah, it's not for course, not for family, nothing. Is I have to do this for my own life. And so with that, with, with, with rehab, uh, with Men's First Step, um, this pastor came in. Um, they, they do meetings and stuff there. They have people come in and speak, and they have a meetings there. And this pastor came in and did a sermon, and that's that's when the spirit hit me, man. Um, I I just, like, dropped right there, and— and I started going to his church, and then um, I got saved on that Easter in uh, 2021. And so God saved, and, and even that was a spiritual battle in itself right there. Um, so at that point, that's whenever I started getting back in the Bible, started, uh, and that my sponsor came and spoke, and that's how I met my sponsor. He came out there and spoke one time, got him as a sponsor, actually started working the steps of AA. I've been in AA since like 2008 right and but never worked the steps never had a sponsor and what do they always tell you in aa <laughs> if works if yeah, you work it. yeah 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 exactly um so this was the first time that i actually uh worked the steps and worked with a sponsor through the steps and it and started seeing the actual changes in my life um i started seeing the blessings that god was giving me and that's whenever i I fully believed in the AA program, and of course, I, I got my my trust back in in God, and started uh, being faithful to Him, and started doing Bible studies, and and 
And whenever I was getting to the point of graduating men's first step, um, again, I'm a chronic relapser every time. Mm -hmm. Right. So that's whenever I was, I still have that fear of relapse. Right. Still to this day. Um, that's what keeps me sober every day. Yeah. Um, so with, with that, that's what got me to hope is alive. It, you guys had the, um, uh, nights in November at that time. Mm. And, uh, my favorite event. Oh man. And, and, and this is the one with Brandon Lake. Um, oh, so this was night of hope. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Not, yeah. Night of hope. Yeah, I'm sorry. Did, I remember Brandon. Yeah. yeah. I remember the night of hope we did. Yeah. When Brandon Lake was there. Yeah. 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 Night of hope. Um, anyway, um, I went to night of hope mm -hmm. and you know, you had the booth and everything. The hope was alive booth was there. Um, I think, um, I know Grant was there and I think Luke was there and I spoke to them about the program. And, um, that's when I was, that's when I pretty much made my decision to go to hope is alive. Whenever I graduated from the men's first step. So spoke to my sponsor about it. And this, this is a totally God thing right here. I was, I was, uh, talking to Luke, of course, cause Luke was, is in our home group and in our AA home group. And so I was talking to him off and on. And then my sponsor brought it up. He was like, Hey man, have you thought about hope is alive when you get out? And I was like, no way. I was, literally getting ready to talk to him about it. And, the, and it, and it just hit me that this is what God's telling me to do. So I get out, um, graduated in, in October, got in straight door to door, didn't even give it a chance. Uh, just my dad picked me up from men's first step and drove me directly to the hope is a live house on H five in the South side. So South side, South side. Um, and loved it, man. When I first got there, like, um, um, they opened the doors and everybody was just hanging out and just welcoming and, and got me in there. And, and of course did my, uh, uh, my, uh, initial interview and all that kind of stuff there and, and, and my intake and did all that. But after that, like everybody just made sure I was like right at home Yeah, and, and it felt right. And that's, that's what I love about, cause I've been to, um, Couple uh, one other sober living I've been to uh, Oxford House and it's definitely not the same and and I don't want to badge you know bash any any sure. other sober living or anything like that but as far as like this program versus other ones um, I truly felt at home. That's awesome, man. And and so I was there for a couple of months. I was actually uh, I was blessed with a gra uh, web design job. So, and that was another God thing too, man. Uh, one of my old friends at First Step, I uh, knew this lady that did web design and, and then I saw him at church out of the blue Yeah. and he asked me if I still did it or wanted to do it. And I was like, yeah. So he got me that job, started doing that. The next thing you know, in January, um, Hope is Alive was looking for a graphic designer. So, uh, and I even fought that for a month. Like, uh, I remember. Yeah, yeah, they 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 told me like a month, and I was like, no, nah, no, nah, I'm good where I'm at. You know, the enemies just telling me, just you're comfortable, you're all right. Yeah. And then finally, um, sent my resume, put in God's hands, and and got the interview, and is with Lance and Scott on Zoom at, mm -hmm. at my old job. Yeah. <laughs> we were doing Zoom right there, and uh, anyway, started working here, and and that's when everything just took off, like all the blessings started happening. Yeah. I remember you started with two other guys on mm -hmm. our, on our media team. All three of you came on at the same time. Yes. And I was at home sick. 
Yeah, you had the yeah, I, you had COVID, didn't I you? I had COVID. Yeah, that's right. That's and right. the way it had worked out was I think I got it the day before you guys started. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and I had been working the entire previous week and weekend with Lance to make sure we had everything set for you guys. Yeah. And Sunday night I have to text him. I'm like, I just tested positive for COVID. <laughs> and I remember meeting all of you on zoom. Yes. And hopping on that call and everyone being like, Oh my, you need to he get off bad. this call. <laughs> it's pretty bad. And go back to bed. That was my first introduction with you, Robert. Yes. Funny. Yes. Well, man, thank you so much for sharing your story with us today. I, uh, I really hope everybody else got, uh, as much out of it as I did. Um, we are so blessed to have you here. We're so thank blessed, you. uh, not just, you know, obviously doing our wonderful graphic design work, but you know, as a presence in our homes for our men. And we know that you'll, uh, carry on the same way when you, uh, when you eventually graduate and join our alumni association. If yes, this is sir. your first time listening to the Hope Dealers podcast, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss any of the upcoming episodes. Be sure to share this with those who need to hear it because that is our idea here at the Hope Dealers podcast, to just share stories with whoever needs to hear them. Again, thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time. This is the Hope Dealers podcast. A new place, a new home for a while. Let me feel alive. Nothing to hold me back, take my time, just enjoy the ride. Hey, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Hope Dealers Podcast. If you or someone you know needs to get in touch with Hope is Alive, or maybe you just want some more information, please visit hopeisalive.net or call 1-844-3-HOPE-NOW. That's 1-844-3-HOPE-NOW. Oh, I feel, I feel, I feel, I feel so alive.